Hello and welcome to episode 21 of The Turning Is. I'm your host Paul and the man is a maniac, an international object swinging maniac. This is Dave. Hey Dave, how you doing? I'm good Paul, how are you? Um, I'm good because that, 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 that was an easier read than, than I thought it was going to be. Your, your, your joke writers are on top form at the moment, I, I must say. I hired no additional staff for this podcast. That's not what you said like 10 episodes ago, so I'm just sticking to canon. <laughs> or kayfabe, if you prefer. Oh, I go with the Vince Russo version of kayfabe. Oh, the, wait, there's a Vince Russo version of kayfabe? You know, you make it up as you go along. I was going to say, I'd hate to live in that world. So we're here to discuss Clash of the Champions 11. Yeah, Coastal Crush. Coastal Crush, which wasn't a Brian Adams gimmick. He played Crush and Kona Crush, but never Coastal Crush because he wasn't in WCW at this point. You nearly laughed then, don't lie. Uh, I thought you were talking about the musician for a second. <laughs> what, Brian Adams? No, I'm talking about the professional wrestler, Brian Adams. But every time I think, who was the other guy in, do, in um, Crime Time? And that, I'm always like, Brian Adams? I'm like, that, the singer? I'm, I always do that. You mean Chronic, not Crime Time. Did I say Crime Time? I yeah. meant mean Chronic. Yes. Uh, and also, obviously, Demolition. Demolition, Crush. When Billy D wasn't as fast as he once was. Allegedly shellfish, and that affected his heart, wasn't it? Or something like that. Was it? I believe that was the, the the thing that made him have to retire. That's a shame. Yeah, he was, he was a far better he was a far better wrestler than uh, Brian Adams. We'll get to talk about Brian, Brian Adams. But then again, Brian Adams is a better singer than. <laughs> so it's the thirteenth of June, nineteen ninety. It's a it still weirds me out that we're in nineteen ninety. Like I remember nineteen ninety. You know, ninety. I know we started in what eighty seven, eighty eight, eighty eight. And technically, like I was alive in '88, but it's not a it's not a vivid memory of like having to train my train my schoolboy brain to write '90 rather than '80 something. So we move on. We're in Charlestown, South Carolina, at yeah. the McAllister Fieldhouse. In attendance, forty one hundred people. Forty one. That's not great. Forty one hundred. Four thousand. We've been in bigger crowds than that that aren't. You know, massive events. I don't think it... It looked full enough. It, yeah, it was probably a small venue. Yeah. It's a 4.1 rating for the TV. That's pretty good, by today's standards. I'm not... Here's the problem. I only go by today's standards, because you, I can only... I can either go from today's standards or the Attitude Era standards, and both are weird outliers, because today you've got a zillion TV channels, and the Attitude Era wrestling was red hot. And if there's one thing I can say about WCW in 1990... It is not red hot. No. But it does have a sponsor this show. To tie into the last show, it is sponsored by the movie Robocop 2. Yes. Um I think Turner had some Turner had got some kind of deal, which is why Robocop turned up, obviously. And couldn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, couldn't couldn't get into a ring, couldn't bump. Don't make him talk because he sounds an awful like the actor. Could barely walk. Could barely move. I actually think what they did was pretty good when you could take all that into consideration. So, the hosts are Jim Ross and Bob Coddle. So, the, the, the old the old standards are back. Yeah. Uh, they've, I know they've been there a few times, like, the last few shows, but, like, I keep being like, well, they've got Tony Schiavone back now. Surely, at some point, Tony's going to come in and... Nope, we've still got we still got Jim and... Still got Jim and Bob. Tony does do the rundown. Yeah. The, for the show. I find this really weird. Like, why... Why do they... 
if they've always had it, but why do they have a rundown guy? Uh, no, sometimes though the rundown guy is Jim Ross, and yeah. then other times it's uh, oh we'll go off to so and so to do the rundown for us. So. Yeah, it's just you've you've got too many announcers. You need something for someone to do. Should we get into the first match? Yeah, it's a tag team match. We love a good tag team match, especially after the last show. Where it was mainly tag team <laughs> matches. Yeah, this is the Southern Boys. Those wild old Southern Boys are going to face the Freebirds. Unfortunate gimmick for the Southern Boys, by modern standards. By modern standards, definitely. Yeah, you um, wouldn't get away with that today. No, but you could get back, get away with it in nineteen ninety. Yes, they come out with the bars and stars and stars bars and bars on their backs, the Confederate flag, and their baby faces. Their baby faces. The Freebirds are the Freebirds, so uh, hashtag fuck the Freebirds. Always. In, in this entire, no, not always, <laughs> not always. I'm pretty sure in the original run, before they were weird, before Jimmy Jam Garvin turned up, I'm pretty sure they would have been better than this. I hope they were better than this, because, yeah, it's it's a pretty good, it's a pretty good, it's a pretty decent match. And to be fair to the Freebirds, like, they they do their best to try and make this, this younger team seem better than they are. I mean, I think the I think the, the Southern Boys are really good. Yeah, so well, the Southern Boys are Tracy Smothers, yeah, who everybody remembers is a full-blooded Italian, and Steve Armstrong, the brother of Brad and Scott, Scott and Brian. Brian, I was going to say we haven't mentioned Road Dog yet. Yeah, and obviously the son of Bob Armstrong. Yeah, so I, I think they're a pretty good team. I think they're suited to each other. They look like a team. They do look like a I team. I like a team that looks like a team. Yes, Dave, I know you do. I know you're very you're very against these, like, that's a single guy and another single guy. And the dreaded, let's slap both their theme tunes together. I know you hate that too. But yeah, I, I like guys that have almost like a uniform. Yeah. They look like they were designed to be a tag team rather than slapped together. In modern days, it's the Briscoes, FTR. Yeah. Back then, it was most tag teams. The, the acclaimed look like a tag team. The acclaimed. Flipping. To be fair, like the Usos, there's quite a lot of tag teams that are tag teams right now. Yeah, but there was a period there in the, in the like mid two thousands where it was just like Rey Mysterio and Rob Van Dam and Kane and about seventy eight people. And every time he was in, he was in a team. It was like, isn't it unusual to see Kane in the team? It's like, no, he's been in lots of teams. Don't forget the Big Show. Oh, the Big Show. Well, it's the Big Show, and we'll get to him at some point. So the match starts off with a Pearl Harbor. Harbor. That is such a terrible, terrible wrestling thing. It's like you can't call every sneak attack Pearl Harbor. You can't. You shouldn't. It was a horrific thing. It was a horrific incident where people lost their lives. It's not something you should be like, yay! Fun wrestling. So the Freebirds take an early lead, but they try to whip the Southern Boys into each other, and the Southern Boys, being good old Southern Boys... Do a dosey do. I was going to say they dosey do, and then they take over and we start the match proper. Yeah, I thought this was pretty. I mean, I'm, people might not be able to tell. I haven't been the biggest fan of the Freebirds, but I thought this was okay. I thought they weren't trying to out muscle. They weren't being like the power team to another power team. I thought they were playing their part better than they've they've been lately. Still not their biggest fan, but I thought they were slightly better in this than other matches we've seen them in if you know what I mean well Hayes does what I've written down as the top rope flare spot getting caught on the top rope and 
should be a begging league. off while he's on top rope and then thrown from the top rope. He doesn't do it anywhere near as well as Flair. And with Flair on the show later, yeah, it shouldn't be there. It should be illegal for someone to do that spot that isn't Ric Flair when Ric Flair's on the show. So you've got the Freebirds trying to cheat to win, as always. All four guys in the ring. The ref puts Hayes out and Armstrong comes off the top of the top rope, breaking a pin attempt by Garvin and costing him the match. So a heel move yeah, by the babyfaces for the free count. That's the thing, that As long as the heels are hated enough, the, the babyfaces baby can cheat. For yeah. And to be fair to the Freebirds, they are hated. Oh, I hate them. <laughs> wow. It's a weird one because a lot of a lot of the crowd seem to love the Freebirds. It's very strange. You know the best thing about the Freebirds? Their theme music. It's still their theme music. I still love their theme music. I'm bored. No, it's the Harbinger of Doom for me at the moment. <laughs> and I don't mean the tag team. It's just... Dun, dun, dun. Oh, God, here comes Michael PSAs. <laughs> so we move on to that, to our next match, which is Tommy Rich versus Bam Bam Bigelow. Second time we've seen Bam Bam Bigelow. Third time we've seen Bam Bam Bigelow. Yes. I, for- I, I forgot he was on Capital Combat because that match wasn't on the VHS ad as a kid. So Bam Bam's returned to the company last show, is it? Or show before? It's last show, I think. Last show, and then... He lasts this show, and I think he's gone again. For a while. We will see Bam Bam again. So it's very much a big guy versus a quick guy match. It's not much of a match. I thought of it as a glorified squash. A lot of Tommy Rich hitting moves and Bam Bam no-selling. Yeah. Which it should be if you're trying to put over a monster heel. Why haven't they got him signed to a contract if they're doing this? You know what I mean? It's like, he's already left once. Like, you need to sign the man if you're going to put him over that hard. Granted, it's only Tommy Rich. We have forgot to mention that Bam Bam's got a manager in this match. Oh, Oliver Humperdinck. Yes. They're, like, really close friends. The big kahuna. He managed, managed him in WWF yeah. as well in the early days, didn't yeah. he? He was, because um, the entire Bam Bam gimmick was all the managers were coming out and be like, you want to you sign with me? I'm the I'm the top manager. I'm the top manager. I'm the top manager. And he's like, nope. And that's how Oliver Humberdink was brought in. He's like, no, I've got, I've got my own guy. After like a month of hearing people, people out. So the same thing they did with Macho Man Randy Savage. Yes. If it works, I suppose. So things, I hope I'm not wrong on that. No, I think, I think I'm right. You know, message us if, if you don't think so. So, the camera work for this show is terrible. Yes. You've got a tense punch in the corner spot where they focus in on the fist, not making contact with the face. Yeah, it's just like, film them from the back so you can see the piston, the piston arm going up and down. Don't film the fact that he's barely making contact, if he's making contact at all. Here, I believe he's punching the turnbuckle behind him. Yeah. And that's just bad, that's just sloppy. Like... I get that these people were usually used to like filming football or basketball or ice hockey or a genuine sport, but I would have hired specific camera guys for WCW and been like, if this happens, this is how you film it, and just train them to do that, because these guys were used to filming real sport. And so, this isn't a real sport. Well, it, you know, it's not, it's not competitive, let's put it that way. So the end of the match comes... Bam Bam fights back and then starts choking Tommy Rich out. Yeah. And the referee tries to get him to break it, counts to five, and can't get him to break. So disqualifies Bam Bam. Second dodgy finish in a row. Yeah. Why have that much? 
why have you be that much of a squash if Bam Bam's not going over? I guess you can say, like, he's unhinged, he doesn't care about the rules, he's dangerous, but it's too quick. He needed to be more brutal. Who's going to do that? He needed to, like, pull them up from the two count and batter him more and stuff like that, and they just didn't, do, didn't go that far. No. And it takes Oliver Humperdin coming in to break up the choke. I love Bam Bam. Like, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him, but from my memory, we don't see him until much later on. We do have a great line from Bam Bam as he's being dragged off. He yells out, I'll kill everybody. Yeah, I, if I looked at Scott Bigelow and looked at most wrestlers, I'd be like, yeah, he'd kill you. Yeah, I, I believe him. A great, a, I heartily believe the Bam Bam will kill everybody. One of my favourite big men. Talking about big men, there's um, a promotion for the next pay-per-view and a debuting star... It's time. It's time. It's Vader time. Oh, yes. Next show, Big Van Vader makes his debut. Yes. I can't wait. He's one of my favourite big men. Yes, yes. And the, the two of them tagged, don't forget. In Japan, they were a tag team. Bam Bam and got Vader. And uh, heaven help anyone that faces that team, because I can't imagine it. But, uh, yeah, Vader's coming in next, next show. Weird for them to, like... I suppose the last people we saw them do this for was like Gator Scott Hall and Flying Brian. Yeah. So they must have plans for Vader, as they should, because Vader's awesome. But we'll get to that next show. We are three big men in a row now, because we have an interview with El Gigante. No. 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 <laughs> we have an interview with Gary Michael Cabetta. Gary Michael Cabetta interviews himself. El Gigante speaks just in Spanish. Prove it. Prove he's not asking why he's here. What's going on? I'm guessing the Spanish audience would have noticed if there was a Spanish true, audience. True, true. I suppose. I suppose. Or a Spanish-speaking audience, should I say? Yeah, there's no, there's no legitimate, like, there's no massive Spanish-speaking people in this country, which is what I was thinking of. It's like, well, but I suppose, yeah, you'd have a Latina, a Latino audience that would understand what he was saying. So. This is to promote a match coming up at the next pay-per-view. His wrestling debut in a six-man tag with him, the Junkyard Dog, and Paul Orndorff versus the Horseman. Well, we, we've we've kind of skipped a step. Who is Eligante? Eligante. We mentioned him on our last show because he came down. John Gonzalez, it, uh, many of you will know him as. Yes, it's Jorge, Jorge Gonzalez. Yes. Um. Yeah. So look forward to that match because it's got the giant Gonzalez in it. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to be great. In a slightly, in it has to be said, in a slightly less ridiculous outfit than the one he wears as Gonzalez. Think about that, because the outfit he wears is dumb. But it's not like yes, let's put him in a bodysuit and then paint him nude. We've uh, over the most weirder places. Yes. So we have a team that aren't a team in the next match. Or aren't a regular team. We have Captain Mike teaming with the Z-Man. The Z-Man? Is he just me or is the Z-Man kind of dropped in, in like status? Oh, he's plummeted. Yeah, it really felt like they had something with him and uh, Brian Pillman. They had something with Brian Pillman. <laughs> well, they, they, could, they could hide his inadequacies effectively in that team. They cannot hide his inadequacies effectively in a team with Mike Rotunda. So Captain Mike Rotunda, the Z-Man, and they are taking on the Samoan SWAT team, who are now Fatu and the Samoan Savage. 
Yes. So they're actual brothers at this point. They're both the Fatu brothers. And you told me about your note for this match, and it sums up this match perfectly. My my, my single note for this match reads, fucking twin magic, because they... I, I, how, many, how many times do you think you do it? Uh, it's about five or six times during the match. And I swear they've got different hairstyles. They have. They look different. Yeah, they're brothers, but they do look significantly different. It's not like, you know, hate to say, hate to, hate to invoke their name here. But it's not like the Bella Twins where they're identical up to a point. Well, in the eighties, another team used to do this quite often. Demolition. <laughs> oh no, Demolition. That came around quite a bit later, where they said Axe and Smash don't look a lot alike. Or look a lot alike, <laughs> even. Yeah, exactly. They don't. But... Yeah. Um, no, the Bulldogs used to use it. David Boy and Dynamite used to use Twin Magic. What? Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> like, I love the Bulldogs, but come on. Yeah, that's even more ridiculous than this. Maybe. Yeah, this is um, this is not a. It's not a bad match, but it's just it stretches incredulity where you're just like, yeah, I get this is a cheating technique, but. It's a dull one after the... You, you can get away with it once and be like, they don't really look alike, but in the heat of the moment, you might forget which one you were attacking, and then they do it, like, twice more. It's when they roll out the ring, hug, and just rotate on the spot as if nobody's going to spot it. Yeah. It's, it's hilarious. It's so bad. It seems to be their entire gimmick now is trying to swap out. Like they've dropped the savage thing... Their ritual at the beginning of the match is booed and they yell at the crowd in English about how they're disrespecting them for their heritage. It's terrible. And then they swap round and... That's that's bad. Yeah, I wish you could say more about this match, but there's not really anyone to get behind because Rotunda and Z-Man are boring. Like, I was, I was bored by Rotunda's Varsity Club gimmick. It had gone on too long, but it's a million times better than this. My God, he has no gimmick. No, he, he wears a boating captain's hat, but doesn't actually come down on a boat. Or I'd love to see WCW try and bring the guy down on a boat. Or talk like a boating captain. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm going to beat ye. You see, I'm thinking Captain from... The Simpsons. Simpsons yeah, of exactly. Course, yeah. To see Captain from Simpsons. That's what I want. <laughs> That's what I think Mike Rotunda should sound like. He does lose this gimmick eventually and become IRS. No, he does. I love, I love that because, well, we'll get, we're gonna get there. But his next two gimmicks are amazing because I'm pretty sure he. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. But there is one before the 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 Terry Runnels one, isn't there? Or is it the same one? And they just add Terry Runnels. It might be the same one. They just add Terry Runnels, but we'll get there. This man never had a good gimmick. It's a shame because he's a good wrestler. But he, his best gimmick is the one I got sick of. The legitimate athlete that he is. Yeah. Yeah. So this match, very similar to the previous match, referee trying to keep order, and Z-Man's been knocked out. Mike pulls him from the ring, lays down, plays possum, gets a free count through a roll-up. Okay, all right. So that's three dodgy finishes in a row? Three, yeah. We're counting them down. And another babyface team cheating to win. Yeah, and in this case, the Samoan Savages are not hated enough. No. Like, 
they're hated because they're bad guys. They hate it because the crowd are racist. <laughs> well, I didn't say it, Dave. The matches are moving quite fast here. There's no love talking in between matches. No, there's no interviews or anything that I can... Because yeah. we go on to our next match, which actually is decent in my mind. It was all right. Me and Mark. Me and Mark Callis. With Paulie Dangerously. Yeah. Against Flying Brian. Brian Pillman versus The Undertaker. I've got down here... Uh, they think Brian is the bigger name here, which is, you know, he's good and he's a big name, but the guy he's facing will eventually be one of the biggest names in wrestling history ever. And it just goes to, to me, it just goes to show how short-sighted they are. Right? I've put that Callis is good, but he's got no gimmick and his name is weird and he sounds like a bully from the Beano. <laughs> Dennis the Menace and Mean Mark, I can see it now. <laughs> It's another power versus speed match. Yeah, which we've had one of. We've had one of. This is much better done than the previous one. Oh, yeah. Because Tommy Rich isn't that fast. No. And Brian Pillman is. And you've got beautiful spots like Brian Pillman skinning the cat and coming back and doing a drop kick. And it's a smooth flow, the kind of thing Shawn Michaels does. It's one flu- fluid movement. Yeah, and I've never, I've never considered uh, Brian Pillman at this stage. I'd compare him to, like... Early rocker stuff, yeah. So he's the single guy. So he does that drop kick to me, Mark, and then immediately Paulie is up on the apron and he drop kicks Paulie as well. Yes, so it's a nice little spot. One thing I'll say for uh, Paul Heyman at this time, he's not afraid of taking a few bumps or like being made to look a complete idiot. It's really raised my estimation of him as a younger manager because, like we all know, like now he's like a great mouthpiece when he can, when he needs to be. But I always thought like him him around this time. I think next year is when I thought he picked up. But even here and like in the the manager versus manager match with Cornet some shows back, he does really good stuff. He wants to be in the business. You can yeah. tell he wants to be there. Like exactly, some people you can tell they don't want to be there. Yeah, it's just oh, this makes me money, and that's about it. So there's a story being told in this match that the commentators don't talk about. And I've seen it in Pillman matches later on in when I've watched various things. Yeah. And you know about Pillman's throat operations as a kid? Yes, because I, I watched the Prime Pillman documentary when it came out in the early 2000s, was it? I didn't see that, but I, I knew about this anyway. Like I've heard interviews. and He was like, one of those guys that got that re- those really cool WWE box sets when they released the flare box, the first flare box set. And it was yeah. a big hit. They just started releasing box sets on like really strange people, quite a few of them. And one of them was Pillman. It was like, this is pretty cool, actually, because it was quite a few Pillman matches and explaining all his childhood and stuff. It was cool. So, had throat surgery as a child. Had like seven throat surgeries. The whole match, me and Mark is working the throat. And I can tell this is Brian Pillman going, work my throat. It will make a great story for the commentators to tell. That they miss entirely. <laughs> yeah, they don't even talk about it once. But they do. They do talk about. Um, they do talk about Brian Pillman. My thing. You you can tell Jr. loves Brian Pillman. Every now and then, when he loves something, even to this day, he'll just push it a little too far for me to be like, "All right, all right, Jr. I get it, I get it." But I thought Pillman was great here. I thought he made uh, Mean Mark. I keep going to call him Take Out. He's not Takey yet. I thought he made Mean Mark look pretty good. Because he's still green, you know what I mean? I don't know if I can see it because I know it's coming or it's there, if you know what I mean, with Mark Callis. Yeah. 
I don't know if I'm like, wow, you can see that he's going to be a big a big star, or is it that I know he's a big star? So I'm looking back and going, oh, that was good. So the end of this match. <laughs> no opinion there, Dave. <laughs> Just none. The end of the match is me and Mark countering the finish of Brian Pillman, the high cross body, dropping him neck first over the top rope and getting the free came from that. So, another another basically that should have been a DQ ending. Yeah, another dodgy ending. But the, me and Mark won, which I wasn't expecting the way they were putting over. Yeah, Brian exactly. But to, to get back to your point there. I made one. A while back, yeah. Oh, right, cool. About JR. <laughs> ah. What was it? I'll shut up now. We move on to an interview. Yeah, I just got Sting interview. Sting interview. Standard Sting interview. Nothing really... It's like he's reading off a script for like the last... It's like he's taken one line from one interview, another line from uh, uh, an interview two months later, and one line from a third interview and just slapped them together. So, essentially, if the horsemen interfere and stick their necks too far out for Flair, they might get broke. Yeah, I, like I said, I just got standard Sting interview. Pretty it, much. Very quick. Considering we've had no real interviews on this show, this seemed like a just a way to get Sting on here, really, when he's hurt. But they need you to be like, oh, yes, Sting, Sting's still a big deal. So we move on? Yeah. Because they're the next tag team match. A tag team match. It's the Rock and Roll Express versus the Midnight Express for the US tag team titles. And they both have those little video entrances. And they both have trains going in the background of them. Like a little choo-choo steam train as well, though. They're called the Express. I get that, like, you know, the Orient Express is a steam train. and all it, But they, they're not fast. It's like a... It might as well be doing the little train, the little train that could. I think I can. I think I can. I think <laughs> <laughs> it's bad. I thought this was a good match. Not great, considering the reputation these two teams have against each other. But I thought it was good. Well, we saw them a couple of shows back, and they were better then. And that match was so much better than this. The issue I've got with the Rock and Roll Express is every time their music starts up, I expect the Honky Tonk Man. <laughs> I can't help it. That's Honky Tonk music. It's going to come down. Yeah. It, it, they they still seem like a team out of time to me. It's very strange. I like them, but there's something that's not clicking with me. So this is 1990. Yeah. The Midnights formed in 83 in Mid-South, where they started feuding about a year later, I think it was, with the Rock and Roll Express. So we've got six years of this feud. JR actually brings up that this feud's been going since Mid-South Wrestling. Yeah. So six years... It's a long old feud. Not for... Not for back then. Not for now, man. Some feuds like... like there's feuds in AEW that feel like they've been going for 20 years. The company's only four years old or whatever it is. Uh, but yeah, the rock and roll. Obviously, I love the Midnights. The Midnights are one of my favourite teams, if not my favourite team. Something about the rock and roll is just not clicking with me. So, we talked last time about um, Robert Gibson signing during interviews. It's actually explained in this show by... Gordon Soley. Gibson's parents are apparently deaf and dumb. Blimey. That must be difficult. I'm imagining he's over-exaggerating it a little bit. Yeah, probably, because that'd be incredibly hard to establish communication. Yeah. Yeah. It probably is. It's the 80s. It's it's the 90s. It's the 90s. (laughs) Not even the 90s. No, the 90s. The 90s. 
You, it's you, a totally you, different you, year. Yeah, you got to get to like nineteen ninety two before it becomes the nineties. You've had more than more than one then. But what did you think of this match? Was like as you said, we saw it a few a couple of shows back, and it was better, like a lot better. But then again, this is only a clash, and I, I hesitate to say that because they're supposed to be big deals, but they're then, really settled into like oh, here's a hype show for pay per view. Yeah, it's basically what it is. There's a pay per view coming in a couple of months time or months time. Buy buy that. There's some wrestling to enjoy in the meantime, but it's not important. There's an, another issue with the cameraman on this one. Yeah. Or the one cameraman or director, potentially. You've got the crowd chanting, rock and roll, rock and roll. So they go out into a crowd shot and find the one person doing the Midnight Express hand sign. <laughs> yep, of course. It's so weird. They, they make so many choices that they're so bad, it makes you think that must be deliberate. You know what I mean? Now, we'll move on to the match. Yeah. Actual. So, it's a basic it's, it's, verse rock and roll match. You've got Stan coming in after Bobby starts off with Robert, I think it is, yeah. And he starts doing his karate moves. And every kick, according to Jim Ross, and he does this throughout his career, is a Savak kick. <laughs> I know this is a personal boat bearer of yours. Now, Savat is a very particular type of French martial art. <laughs> Stan is trained in karate. <laughs> yes, which is not a French martial art, surprisingly. Okay. Savat is um, competitive. It's essentially mixed martial arts back in the day. Yeah. And this is not... No, but it's every kick, and he does it later in his career, like I say, with the WWF. X Pac throws quite a lot of Savak kicks <laughs> with his educated feet. It's just something to say that makes you sound like you know what you're talking about. Well, because Bob Cardle will never know, sounds like he knows what he's talking about when it comes to like, let's call them exotic maneuvers. He can, he can call an Irish whip and a headlock takedown and stuff like that, but the moment you're like. The moment you introduce anything new, he's like, whoa, what was that? So I appreciate JR going for it and trying, but you are right. Yeah. Well, Gibson hits an insecurity online, and yeah, again, Savak kicked to the back <laughs> of the head. <laughs> oh, God. It, it's great. It can be entertained, at least. That's so bad. So we get Ricky in for a bit, and we know where this is going then. Yes. Ricky's going to sell. Maybe that's it. That might be where I've got a problem. Because I think every match we've seen... Don't be wrong, I heard, I know this is the formula that Ricky sells tags into Robert. But I'm pretty sure every time we've seen him do the emergency tagger, he does the roll into his own corner to tag. Yeah. Every time. Every time, yeah. So I know people have got their formulas, but it just seems a bit, a bit nuts. Yeah, it's not a bad formula. It's just... I've seen it. And we're seeing it a lot in a compressed amount of time. I guess you're always waiting months in between every time we were seeing it. It wouldn't be so obvious. Like the New Age Outlaws had a formula. Legion of Doom had a formula. Everyone has had a formula. But this seems even more formulaic than them, if you know what I mean. Is it because we're not getting the TV as well where they're getting the squash matches? To just show off their athleticism? Possibly, possibly. We're just getting the big match where they do the same again and again and again. Yeah, but not bad. Not bad, but it has really, yeah, that's just a realisation I've just come to. I think that's the thing. It's the it's the roll into the corner. It irritates me 
the reputation these guys have as like opponents, and you, it's a fine match. Are you ready for the big finish? Yeah, uh, it's Ric Flair, but it's just, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So we have a hot tag to Robert Gibson. All four in the men in the ring. Ricky takes Bobby out. There's a bit of back and forth. Hoot ends up knocking Ricky off the apron. Just call him Hoot. Hoot. It's written in my thing. I was going to say, that is his nickname. You know why? No idea. Vicious farts. Excellent. Like vicious room-clearing farts that he would do gleefully in interviews halfway through. And Jim Ross would be there holding a microphone, being like, oh, I've got to hold this microphone, and this stinks. And that's why his nickname is Hoot. So, Hoot Robert Gibson, by Robert, the way. Yeah, Robert Gibson <laughs> gets Stan Lane in a sleeper. The referee distracts. The refer- is distracted by Jim Cornette. So the referee distracts the referee. The referee distracts the referee, yeah. Um, is distracted by Jim Cornette. Bobby hits an axe handle from the top. Stan gets a pin, but only for two. Oh. All four men in. Stan grabs the referee, throws him to one side, and the Midnight Express are disqualified. And that is the fourth, or is that the fifth match we've done now? I think it's the fifth. And they've all ended. In really bad ways, even ones that have ended up with a pin have sucked. Because it's been good guys doing evil, heedish things. I haven't been satisfied by any match so far on this event. Let's move on to the next one then. Yeah, again, no interview or anything. No interview, just the next match, which is Barry Windham of the Four Horsemen versus Doug Furness. Furness? Furness. Furness. Very brummy, that, Furness. Furness. So you got some Four Horsemen fans in the front row, and they're wearing tuxedo tops and shorts on the bottom. It's hot. It's the south. But these are... Um, they're famous fans, essentially, these days, aren't they? They were always... Essentially, in those seats in Carolina. I have no idea. I know that there were horseman fans that dressed like that, but I think there were like a lot of them were just yeah. rotating. But I think these guys have a podcast even these days. Oh, awesome. Their days. Awesome. Or are featured on someone else's. That's, that's pretty cool. I've not, I've not heard of that. That yeah. sounds like something I should listen to. After I've finished listening to the Turner Years. Of course. And the Ministry not, of Slam. Yes. And Ministry of Horror. <laughs> and the rest of our fine shows. Ministry of Marvel. Yes. Well, you've got to be, you've got to be a YouTube member to listen to that, Dave. Why aren't you a YouTube member if you're not? Oh, That's no, yeah. ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Shame. So, on to Barry Windham versus Doug Furness. Yeah, I, I quite like Doug here. I thought... Oh. So, he's the world's strongest man. That's, that's his gimmick at the moment. He looks... The thing I like about him is he looks built, but he doesn't look... He doesn't look like Hogan or the Warrior or the Warlord or something like that. Because that's usually the the physique of the world's strongest man. Until you get to like Mark Henry, you know, they're usually a big Michelin man looking. So WWF at this point still have um, Canada's strongest man, don't they? They've still got Dino Bravo. Yes. Because he's with the Canadian Earthquake who is now just Earthquake. Yeah. But yeah, the world's strongest man. Legitimate strong man as well, Doug Furness. Yeah. He, he's definitely got a bodybuilder's physique because it's all it's all symmetrical. Like he's obviously worked on himself to make everything look. He looks like an action figure, but not in the ridiculous way that like a lot of bodybuilders look. And I thought for for his, he's obviously he's a short guy, which I think goes against him. Maybe he's not a short guy because 
Barry is quite tall. I think he's about 5'10", five, 5'11", five, so Owen Hart-sized in terms of so height. For the professional wrestling business, sure. one of the smaller guys. Yeah, especially at that time. Yeah, I thought he did all right. It was pretty obvious Barry was leading him through everything. Well, there's a misstep by um, Furness, and Barry basically makes up for it. Yeah, he's not per- like he's not perfect. But for the first time we've seen the guy, he did, one- he did an interview... Last time. Last time. Yeah. And I thought he was pretty good. Barry's obviously better, and Barry, as you said, makes up for any mistakes, so that probably doesn't hurt having one of the best wrestlers ever on your side. I mean, hopefully you get well soon, Barry, because uh don't know about... don't know if you know. Cancer? Heart attack again. Heart attack, oh, God. Yeah. Best wishes to Barry Windham. Though. So, Doug Furness does the gorilla press, and it's very impressive. He doesn't have the... St- Stability of Doctor Death. Oh no, but Doctor Death's insane. He's also wide. Yeah, he's like he's got that wide base to be like I can. Like Furnace isn't that wide. If you if he's if he tried to stand that wide, be doing the splits. But I was impressed. He, nobody's got the stability of Doctor Death, who right now is in Japan, I think. And speaking of Japan, I believe that by next year. Doug Furness has the match of the year in, I think it's all Japan, as voted for by the readers of the Wrestling Observer. So that's how quickly he goes on to like, okay, I don't have a gimmick. Japan's the place for me. Because it's him and him and LaFarm in a tag match. Which I just thought was really interesting because he's blatantly a, a massive rookie here. He's stiff as well. Oh, he's yeah. He's throwing them in. And you can tell Barry doesn't mind. No, you, you, you get on with it, don't you? That they trade clotheslines and he's stiff but safe. Yeah, because quite a lot of people equate stiff with like I just throwing haymakers. It's like, oh, no, you, uh, there's an old William Regal quote: "I hit you hard in safe places." There is one point I've got here. Barry actually sells a missed drop kick. Yeah, but again, some of that's camera work. If yeah. they took shot it from a different thing, I wouldn't have known that camera was. No, they, they li- was it's missed. like they. I don't know if you ever saw that documentary, Pro Wrestling's Greatest Secrets Revealed. It's like they're filming for that sometimes. Like there's, there's an inch there. You, no, don't don't film that. You'd think people would get used to it and be like, well, this this needs to be filmed this way. And it just wasn't happening. But I thought this was a decent match. It's definitely one of the better matches on this card. Again, JR goes on too much about how good Doug is, though. I know I, know I just have. He's the second best athlete from whatever part of Oklahoma he comes from because someone from the Mets was from there. Yeah. Is the thing I remember. Yeah, it's just like, why not just say he's the best athlete? Why not say he's better than the guy from the Mets? So Barry actually gets the win here with a belly-to-back suplex and then puts his feet on the rope, which he can easily reach because he's very tall. Yeah, but again... Another screwy finish. And again, it's a heel doing a heel thing... But pay attention to what's already been on the show. So, here we go. We're on to a little promo before a match. So, it's the match for the US title. I totally missed this, so... It might not be for the US title. The US champion is in the match. No, I'm talking about the promo. Oh, the promo. It's it's just a short little video before he starts. But Sid... Oh, yeah, yeah. Sid, on his little pre-match video, is there. He says, I'm a machine... A fuel-injected suicidal machine. Yes. So this is Sid Vicious versus Lex Luger. Sid has Ole Anderson in his corner because he's a horseman. And this is the longest match we'll ever see. Oh, no, wait. <laughs> in the time it's it, 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 it taking you to describe who's in the match and who's in the corner, 
the match, the match is, is over. Yeah. Because Sid gets in the ring, Lex clotheslines him and pins him. Lex hits Oli first. All right. Then yeah. hits Sid, pins him, and gets the free count. 26 seconds the match lasts. I assume this is a make good from like we're not going to going to give you the belt. I'm assuming it's like yeah we made you a bit of an idiot at Capital Carnage, Capital Combat. Um, so here's a big victory, and it, it's not a big victory because it's just like Sid hasn't been put over at least on big matches. Sid's not been put over big enough for it to be no. a big victory. It's a big victory because Sid's big. <laughs> That's pretty much it. My notes read poor Sid. My notes basically say how long it took. <laughs> Yeah, I think I bent down to write something and then it was over and I was like, oh, my note's getting changed to poor Sid. It is the only clean <laughs> victory. Yes. Essentially in this whole show. Spoilers, Dave. We're going to count them all up at the end. Um, but yeah. So far. But <laughs> <laughs> nice, nicely saved. So we've got a little promo by Jim and Bob for the Great American Bash. Yeah. Where we're going to see this big six-man tag of the Horseman. Versus El Gigante, Paul Orndorff, and the Junkyard Dog. Otherwise known as the Dudes with Attitudes. Oh, God. I it, wouldn't mind, but that gets used to WF as well. They're two dudes with attitude oh, yeah, in that's WWF. Tr- that's true. They yeah. dropped the S. It's very significant. Fair enough. I still think it sucks, but fair enough. And one of those guys could really go still. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here we go. We've got Nash was pretty good. Another tag match. We're, it's a. Oh, this rematch. looks like going to suck. This is going to suck. Rematch for the world tag titles: Scott Steiner and Rick Steiner, the Steiners, versus the Team of Doom with Teddy Long. Jesus. Right, let's go. Yeah. So Scott starts off with Ron. No, no, no! Wait, 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 wait! Thank God for this match. Oh yeah. <laughs> Because I don't know if you can tell, I was I've been harder on other shows. Uh, recently, Dave, I was doing the the editing for Future Shock. Future Shock, and I just want to say thanks very much, because otherwise that show has been me bitching for two hours. So thanks for dragging me through that one. But um, <laughs> but this this has not been a good show. This is not a good show, and he's got started to save the day. <laughs> yeah, like Mighty Mouse. <laughs> Well, later on in his career, he did have like the Superman S on his tights, didn't yes, he? Yes, yes. He, he deserved them. He earned those S's. Yes. Ridiculous. Yeah. So, very beginning of the match, essentially. Scott gets Ron Simmons in a slam position and then stands there and does a moonsault with Ron Simmons in arm. <laughs> yeah. And then, Butch Reed comes in and he does the same to Butch Reed. Yes. It's... It's like somebody enters a video game cheat. It's just <laughs> or a glitch almost. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'm sorry. I gave the big. I gave the big show Rey Mysterio's moves. It's yeah. like that. It's like it shouldn't work. It's ridiculous. It's doing a Spanish fly without any assistance. Yes, with a, with three hundred pounds in, in your arms. Yeah, it's it's nuts. It's so good. Yeah. Um, I could not get over that move. And no, the fact he did it once was insane. I, I, rewound, I rewound the beginning of that match twice to be like, yeah. how does he do that? It's like, oh, it's, it's freakishly strong. That's how he does it. Scott Steiner at this point is one of the best wrestlers in the world. Yes. No. Full stop. Terrible interview. Oh, terrible interview, but 
so good in the ring. Yeah, he's, like, he, he makes up for it. His speed, his strength, his uncanny agility for his size. Like all I'm seeing is dollar signs. And as the heels powder, Scott gets on all fours, and Rick jumps on his back and like he's a horse. <laughs> Uh, yeah okay well, it's 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 an amateur wrestling uh, position Dave it's not horsemanship otherwise the horseman would be doing it no no but the way Rick does it it looks <laughs> like he's riding a horse or at least trying to ride his brother as a horse I was going to say I know I know Scott's big but I, I was always a bigger Scott fan than I was a Rick fan always and watching these matches like yes, like Rick's a good bruiser kind of guy can throw a mean Steiner line but without Scott that team wouldn't be very good like if, if Scott was just another Rick they'd just be like a lesser road road warriors without the charisma the thing with the Steiner brothers is you are sitting there waiting to see what Scott does and then yes they go into their formula Scott ends up being hurt and getting isolated and he tags his big brother in clean house but Scott Steiner is unbelievable in at this time. I know that there are certain people in WCW that are very intent on like we need to break the Steiners up right now and there are people against that. Believe Jim Hurd is someone who wants to break the Steiners off and make Scott a single star. Too early. Yeah. And I believe Scott Steiner is someone who's like, not yet, nope. <laughs> He's enjoying working with his brother. Yeah, he, he definitely wants to be a single star, but I think he's very good. Keep, they've only been tagging for a year. They have. And Scott's only been wrestling for two years at this point. He's still very green. Yeah, so have you ever seen him do the uh, shooting star press? No. Uh, I don't know where it was, but there's a clip on YouTube of him doing... It's a version of a, either a 450 or a shooting star press. Obviously, it's not... Like the shooting star press you get today, or the fourth. I can't remember which one it is, but he's definitely figuring it out. And it's like, Jesus, Scott, you'd have killed someone. You shouldn't be able to move like that. Yeah, exactly. You're top heavy. This shouldn't work. Yes. But yeah, it does. So this is very much the same match otherwise as last time. Lots of hard hitting, the Steiners catching suplexes and slams, and hitting Steiner lines all over the place. And, both, and everyone sells. Yeah. They don't sell tons, but they sell. Like the problem, the problem I have with teams like the skyscrapers back back then, and LOD is nobody sold. It was just I'm going to bump into you. These guys, you can hear the flesh hit. You you can hear them, ooh, and they'll they'll wince and drop back into the corner and tag out. It's it's really good stuff. Talking of selling, there's a point where Rick is hit by a clothesline from Butch, I believe. And turns himself inside out doing it, like literally upside down. Oh yeah, don't, don't get me wrong. Like Rick is a Rick's a good athlete as well. I'm not saying that Rick is Rick's the lesser of the Steiner brothers, but the lesser of the Steiner brothers is still pretty damn good. Yeah. But you got to think of the size of Rick. Yeah. doing essentially what is a short Michael spot. The, the Rikishi bump. The Rikishi. That's what it is. The the clothesline 360. Yeah. Yeah, Rikishi Fatu, Fatu used to do it, and then people were surprised when he could still do it as Rikishi. So he got called the Rikishi bump. Uh-huh. The more you know. Yeah, We've got the usual athleticism from Scott doing drop kicks. Yeah, his drop kicks are great. He he shouldn't be able to move like this. We've said so many times. <laughs> no. like, he's you, top you, heavy. He should just you, try to drop. You have to see it. 
to believe it because it, like we can say it all you like, but like some of my favorite like some of my favorite Steinbrenner's matches are just massive brawls. I'm going to deny that. We got one coming up end of the year that I think is great, but I failed to remember all this stuff. That's like that. That's not humanly possible. Oh. You're not human. Okay, fair enough. So, we're getting into it again, where all four men end up in the ring. The referee's having issues keeping control. And Reed, but Reed, comes in with an international object in hand. Because <laughs> you can't say foreign in WCW. And he hits Scott for on to pin. Rick clotheslines Butch and pins him. The ref counts three, but the legal man was Scott and the legal man was Ron. So that is... So the tag titles yeah. stay where they were. Uh, the international object is actually referred to by Jim Ross as a world-famous international object. He's very sarcastic about it. He knows yeah. he's dumb. You can hear the, like, for fuck's sake, in his voice. Yeah, it's brilliant. Not brilliant and we get yet another messed up finny. Oh. It feels very much like Vince, Vince Russo's booking. No, it just feels like these two teams are great. We don't want to beat either of them. Yeah. With the other messed up finishes, yeah, it was like Vince Russo. It's like, just too much. Yeah, it's hot shotting when there was no need to hot shot because the business was dead already. Yeah, you should have slowed down. So we have an interview next. I've missed this again. With JYD, the junkyard dog, being interviewed by Tony Schiavone. The crowd are chanting JYD, and here we go. JYD says he's ready for this match. He's a new JYD, and he's going to show. Ric Flair with the new JYD is made of and I think I've got the answer to this the new JYD is made of fast donuts and cocaine <laughs> I was going to say do- Jesus man um, that's my guess cocaine and fast food he was never in the greatest shape in WF but this is this is a whole new shape and the shape is round yeah and he says the dudes with attitudes have his back yeah, we do. I mean, yeah, they do. Yeah, well, someone's got to because he's going to fall down otherwise. <laughs> Jesus. He, he needs someone there with the paddles to revive him. Jeez. Mm. He looks awful. Yes, he does. He does. I do feel I feel bad because obviously the man's died. Hmm. But at the same time, like, you must know that something's going wrong if you're that size. <sighs> so, on to the next match. Yes. Which is one of the dudes with attitudes. Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff as a babyface. Doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Against the WCW television champion, Arn Anderson, in a non-title match at Clash of the Champions. <laughs> Why is it a non-title? It's like a great, great way to telegraph this then. You don't want Orndorff with the belt. But you needed to win. So the commentary team are getting a bit lost. Well, Bob is getting a bit lost. Yeah. He's a bit confused these days. So Jim Ross, there's some punches being thrown. And Jim Ross says, it's Paul Orndorff, naturally left-handed. And Bob goes on about hard-hitting and then goes, and that's why he's called the enforcer. <laughs> it's just kind of like, what? Yeah. I believe Paul Orndorff was left-handed. Yes. I think Arn Anderson might be as well. Cool, but Bob. All the all the best people are Dave. Me, Arn Anderson. That's all you need to know. They're the best people. He might not be. I, I might be. Shush totally you. Mistaken no, there. no, I'm taking him as mine. <laughs> yeah. So very confusing on the commentary. Not a bad match overall. This. No, very old school. But as soon as 
as soon as it's a non-title match, you're like, oh, fair enough. Now, personally, I might have swapped the dudes with attitudes around for their matches here. Put Orndorff with Flair. Put Orndorff with Flair. It, it would have been a more interesting technical match. It would have, but they're not anywhere near New York, so Orndorff means very little. And the, down in Carolina where Junkyard Dog is from. Yeah. And a big superstar. Yeah, I can't really recall, recall any massive spots from this. No. I remember being annoyed because it was non-title and thinking, well, now I know who's winning before the match even starts. Also, again, you're at a class of champions, what you're doing. Then there's a lot of talk about Paul not hooking legs and then Arn making the same mistake and not hooking legs and that's why they're not getting the free counts. Old school wrestling commentary. Yeah, that's what... And, and if, you're, if, you're, if you're at a wrestling show with me and Dave can attest to this, I will yell that at people. Hook the leg! Hook the leg! Stay on him! I'm very irritated to be at wrestling shows with. It's true. It's damn true. So, the end of the match, Orndorff goes for a Vader bomb, as I put it here. Yes. She's weird, because he's not a big dude. I mean, he's a big dude, but, like, surely an elbow drop is effective. And Arn gets his knees up in time. Arn goes for a small package, but Orndorff reverses the small package and gets the free count. So that's... A clean finish. Yeah, okay, it's a clean finish. But convoluted, I felt, still. Yeah, why go for... Why do the splash and the knees up yeah. and then reverse it? Have a false finish. Yeah, I'm, I'm less charitable to these matches now. Like, you've already... You've, you've messed with me too much for me to be like, oh, I'll buy that. And we go on to a horseman interview after that. Oh, this was so dumb. This was the dumbest horseman interview I think I've ever seen. Because here's what happens. Sid's just lost in, what, 29 seconds, did you say? Yep. And Arn Anderson has just lost. And there's Flair being like, how great the horsemen are. And how, and how I'm pretty sure he says, Arn nearly won. <laughs> it's one of them. And it's just like, no, no, don't bring up the horsemen. They've just lost. Big up you, the leader of the horsemen. But no, he, he, he goes out of his way to talk about how great Sid is who's just lost in 26 seconds or whatever the heck you said. <laughs> it's just like, I get you, you're trying to repair them, but I've just, I've just seen the most embarrassing loss in Turner years history. <laughs> and, uh, and Arn didn't win either. Yeah. Um, the only thing I really have noted about this is him going on about being at the top of the mountain and whether you like it or you don't learn to love it. Yeah. Which Triple H stole years later for evolution yeah and then we move on to our main event of the evening for the world title it's Ric Flair it's Ric Flair versus Superman versus the junkie hot dog who I don't consider Superman because Superman doesn't get out of breath walking down to the ring <laughs> so there's a little mini video of Junkyard Dog followed by Junkyard Dog coming out with what appears to be a New Orleans carnival band. It's the same band we complained of that complained of last time. They're really old. <laughs> they don't look cool. They don't look hip. It looks like they're Junkyard's mates. Yeah. They must be because I swear it's the same band. So it's a shame we didn't have Tony Khan back in the day to pay for the rights for music for WCW. Yeah, because Junkyard Dog's music back dun, in dun, dun, dun. there we go. Dun, 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 dun. Another one bites the dust, and yep. then he comes out to this carnival band music, gets out of breath, walking down to the ring, 
Oh, actually, he runs according to my notes. Oh, that that was a mistake. I I don't really remember the entries. I just remember being. I just remember the feeling of incandescent rage watching this match. So, in between this show and the last show, someone's disappeared. Ric Flair no longer has woman with him. Yes, I was. I was I, I've been thinking about that lately because she doesn't appear for a while. No, no, it's sad for me. I love woman. I think she's great. Yep. So. But he's got the horseman to watch his back. Yeah, the losers that they are. <laughs> Barry won. I was going to say, Barry, one out of three isn't bad. Hang on, wait. <laughs> yeah, so one out of three, uh, two out of three, but oh, God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, we'll move on. <laughs> so this match is basically Flair hitting the junkyard dog and junkyard dog no-selling everything. Every. No, don't don't act like it's just hitting Dave. The end of the match would just, screw it because I'm just going to skip to the end because this match is really annoying. It's not very long, so right. The end of the match, Flair gets so frustrated at not being able to hurt the junkyard dog, he hits JYD with a chair, and the ref calls for the DQ. Yes, no, he hits JYD with the chair. I think the ref's distracted at that point. Okay, cool. Oh, JYD is then beating up Flair when Oli attacks ah, yeah. and causes the then, DQ. Then, then, there's the, then there's the big brawl. Okay. And then the horsemen all come in and then we get the dudes with attitudes to save the day. Yeah, it, it turns into a big brawl, which I, I get that's the purpose. But here's the thing. Ric Flair can't hurt the junkyard dog. We've just seen it. Even mm. with the chair, the junkyard dog is unfazed. Why isn't he challenging for the world title on the next pay-per-view? He just got screwed out of his title shot and Flair did nothing to him. Well, he's already booked in a match. He's been booked in a match since before this show, so Flair's not in that match. Don't (laughs) defend this booking, Dave. And also, I don't want to see that match again. (laughs) (laughs) So There you go. But it's just stupid. You should have had Flair cheat to heck, go for the eyes, get JYD down. I think that was part of the problem. I don't think JYD could get down and get back up again. He he's in terrible. I know we keep going on about it, and I do feel bad because the guy's passed on. But he's in terrible shape. He shouldn't have been put in this position. No, you are right. It should have been Orndorff, even if Orndorff wouldn't have been as big a draw. It would have been a bad match. Yeah, it probably would have been the match of the night. Undoubtedly. Yeah. Uh, I wish there was more to say about that match. No. It took about eight minutes. So we get to the end of the match. And there's an interview with Sting and Rocky King. Yeah. So Rocky King's a job guy, isn't he? Yes, he is. He ends up... He, I believe he's about to join the Freebirds as their roadie. He looks like the guy from Rockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, Mr. Mayo. Oh, the guy who owns the bar or wants the bar? No, the guy who runs the drugs ring. He sets fire to the guy in the pub. Ah, oh, yeah, With the yeah, big afro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he looks so small compared to Sting. It's really, it's a really weird. But Sting does have something important to say in that interview, and it's that he's he's fit, he's ready, he wants Ric Flair at the Great American Bash for the World Title. Good stuff. And then there's another attack on Sting, and they basically run right by El Gigante, who just stands there and does nothing. <laughs> yeah, he comes out onto the stage, and it's just like, ah, oh, yeah. What am I supposed to do here? Apparently, Jorge Gonzalez, one of the nicest men in the world, and it was just really hard to get him to even act like he was going to hurt anyone because he was just like, no, no, I 
you don't understand how strong I am. Even messing about, I could probably hurt you. I don't want to do that. And they're like, but it's your job. He's so tall. He doesn't look that powerful. He's his leg muscles and his muscles must be massive just by sheer, yeah. sheer like. I reckon size. Scott Steiner could pick him up and throw him over his probably, head. Probably, but Scott Steiner is the genetic freak. So yeah, that was. Clash of the Champions 11, yeah. Coastal Crush. So, um, we had one clean finish? Yeah. Or two. Two. We, two, two. Let's be generous and say two. Two clean finishes. Although they were both a bit contrived. Yeah. Or very contrived, one having lasting only 26 seconds. <laughs> uh, we had Rocky King... You leave my match of the night alone, Dave. <laughs> we had Rocky King debuting. Oh. And... Did nothing. I'm sure he's a lovely guy and a great wrestler, but... But why is he there at the end? Why is he the last voice you hear on this? I want to remind you, nationally televised. And it looks like we might have Sting versus Ric Flair for the yes. world title at the next show. It's about time. Yes. It's been a while since we saw that match. Has. Let's see if Sting can do it this time. So, should we go to the important bits? Yes. The match of the night... And the worker of the night. Well, the worker of the night is obviously the junkyard dog. He got paid to do nothing. But the best wrestler of the night is Lex Luger because he beats Sid Vicious in 26 seconds. But the real worker of the night is Scott Steiner. <laughs> and the match of the night is the Steiner versus Doom. I can't agree more there. I love Scott Steiner at the moment. I'm not looking forward to him leaving to go to WWF. That's in a couple of years' time. You've got time yet. It doesn't feel like it's that far in the future for us. Ah, so. well, we haven't reached the point where they're at monthly pay-per-views yet, Dave. Oh, God. But we'll, we'll have a lot of TV to watch in between, though, so we'll yes. be able to actually talk about why they're doing these yes, things. Yes, yes. It's very difficult. 1990s, very... I signed up to The Observer to get their back issues for 1990. They don't have any in their archives, so I'm having to go, like, roundabout ways to be like this is happening okay this is sort of happening did they melt the vote for one of these matches of matches of the year and then have a real like oh god why did I do that <laughs> I, I can find the year the, the pro wrestling yearbook but that's like that covers every company so it's all kind of it's very surface level yeah a bit of a putrid show it's not even I don't even think it's saved by that Steiner's match because you've seen that match before Ole Anderson's booking is meh Right now, uh, yeah. Best. Yeah. I mean, he's... He got dealt a rough hand with Sting being injured and Flair's refusal to drop it to anybody else, but... I'd just like to say, spoiler alert. What? Flair's refusal to drop it to anybody else. Yeah, Flair, Flair wasn't going to drop drop the, drop the belt to anybody. They, they wanted him to drop it to the Luger. Yeah, yeah, but you just spoiled the man of everything next show, I think. No, I didn't. You don't know what happens next show. You don't know what happens at all. Spoilers, by the way. At some point, <laughs> Sting becomes world champion. Like I'm pretty sure people know this day. I can cut that out if you like. Nah, because it's funny. <laughs> and that show was awful otherwise. Exactly. It's just like, they've got all their ducks in a row. Well, let's see what happens. So next show is The Great American Bash. 1990. What, an, infamously, an infamous show. The in-ring debut of El Gigante. The in-ring, the in-ring debut of Vader. The North American in-ring debut of Vader. Which is also complete bupkis. What Leon White had already worked. And next time we'll talk a lot about Vader, I'm sure. Yes. Some interesting stuff coming up there. So next time, as you heard, it's the Great American Bash 1990. I've been Paul. 
I've been Dave. And we'll see you next time.